podcast world what's up chad belding back at you another episode of this life ain't for everybody thank you all so much for listening to the podcast subscribing to it telling your friends and family leaving us ratings and reviews we're excited about today's episode you all know that i am a combat sports freak even though i don't know how to fight you all know that i wish i would have been a wrestler i've always been envious of wrestling when i say wrestling i don't even though i have a lot of respect for the wwe and professional wrestlers if you will i've just always been infatuated with folk style wrestling college wrestling freestyle wrestling greco roaming wrestling greco roman wrestling and today we have what i consider i've watched this man's career from the outside looking in for five years i've talked to many wrestlers that hold this guy at the top of their ladder of the one that i hear the most is the best offensive wrestler the scoring best scoring machine of all time david taylor the magic man welcome thank you chad what's going on man uh you know just living life right now in this crazy world of of quarantine and and being in isolation but um no i mean i'm just i'm obviously uh, <clears throat> thankful to be here David, I got to start this off by saying you don't look like that much of like a like a guy that, you know, you walk into a bar and if you don't really look at the ears of a wrestler, a lot of them look unassuming. They don't they don't come across and a lot of them don't have the attitude of like wanting to always just show how tough they are in public. And then on top of that, you throw in you have a love with cats. And I've just I just watched the Netflix series Don't F with Cats and I kind of thought of you in that because sometimes you promote your you have a love Love of cats? Are you an all-around pet guy? Do you like fish and dogs too, or do you just do you have an infatuation with cats? Are you this sweet little this sweet little dude that just can get on a mat and make somebody you know cry mercy? Yeah, I think that's kind of kind of me. And I funny thing about cats. So my wife and I, uh, she she grew up with cats, and I grew up on on farm and a ranch growing up, and we had farm cats that you know they come and go. You know, so there was not really a tie to that. And we had dogs, we had horses. So I, I always grew up around fam or uh, around animals, but cats, I was never like really, I never really had like a affection towards cats. And, and <clears throat> my wife grew up big cat fan. And I think, so she multiple times growing up, she actually would like find cats off the street, put them in her house. They would birth kittens. She would have this like farm of cats uh she calls them fostering at that time but she really was just hiding from her parents so so she always had this uh strong affection towards cats so when we got <clears throat> we were dating at the time and she we wanted to get a cat and i just remember telling her hey if uh if this cat like poops or pees in the house like it's gone and she's like that's not how cats work and i'm like ah okay we'll see and our first cat her name was Maisie, um and uh we, i just kind of really fell in love with her i had a really close a connection with her and now we have three cats um, so the first one that we, we bought our first cat. Um, and then now since then, my wife and I foster cats, you know, kind of, we're on the, the side of uh, adopt, don't shop. And, uh, we've uh, adopted our next two cats. We have three, um, we fostered probably, I don't know, you know, probably easily 200 different cats, kittens throughout, um, the last couple of years and found them good homes. So, um, yeah, I am kind of a crazy cat man. Are you a are you a Howard Stern fan or a Beth Stern fan by chance? And have you listened to any of their um, their life, their current life status with their cats and 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 the and the the different? I can't. I'm, it's escaping me right now. But the Shoreline Animal Fund or something that and the, and she adopts cats. They li- they have a nice house there on and and an apartment. But I guess it's just an, in, it just full of cats. Have you listened to any of that by chance? 
North Shore. It's called it's called the North Shore Animal Fund. I haven't, but I'm pretty sure my wife follows her uh, on Instagram, and I think her Instagram is primarily. You know, my Instagram is full with like people working out, wrestlers, you know, lifting weights, and hers is followed with cat Instagram accounts. Everything's so cats. Yeah, she follows uh, her, and, and she's definitely talked to me about her before. And I think it's pretty cool. I think you know to have that kind of affection and connection, and, and trying to uh, I don't know. I guess find you know, there's a lot of cats that just get kind of lost out there, and not to get give them down that road, but to be able to find them homes and, and give them some TLC. And I think cats sometimes get like a bad rep of being like mean and vicious, but really it's just if uh, you just spend time with them when they're kittens, they become so friendly. Our cats are all super affectionate cats and um you just put some time into them do you have do you like big cats as well are you into mountain lions or tigers and lions and stuff like that i mean not to raise one or like the but you are like the mike tyson of wrestling would you ever have pet tigers like tyson did i don't know i watched the tiger king recently i'm sure everyone has during this quarantine (laughs) and uh i think everyone crossed their mind i think everyone probably googled like what does it take to raise a tiger or something like that? But yeah, no, I don't think so. You know, I, we're pretty content with our little cats here. So I, like I told you, I'm infatuated with wrestling. I wish I would have been a wrestler. Um, I'm not saying that I could have been because I understand how hard it is and, and, and the discipline and the, the overall encompassing approach that you have to have to achieve success. Not to say that you couldn't go into a wrestling room and learn a lot of life's lessons because I've had a lot of uh, good friends that were brought up that I've met through my hunting network or through my athletic network or whatever that have a wrestling background. And I see a lot of the same traits in them. Um, I talked to Brent Metcalf the other day on the podcast and Brent's a hunter and he's a, he's a buddy of mine. And the last question I asked him was right now, Brent gets to watch one wrestler, the best wrestler there's going right now. Who do you watch? Who do you pay pay pay-per-view to watch wrestle? And he said, hands down, David Taylor. Um, So that's a big thing coming from a guy like Brent Metcalf because he's been there, done that world teams, Olympic trials, NCAA championships, big 10 championships. You talk, you name it. He's done it in wrestling and he's so humble and he, he loves your career and he loves the way you wrestle. just calls you an offensive machine, which you are. Um, I think what Jaden did in this last year with his unscorable, you know, streak that he went on is kind of comparable to what you were doing before your injury. Have you always concentrated on offense? Because you said, as long as I score more, I'm good. Is that where that mentality came from? As long as I score more than my opponent, I win every match. I don't have to worry about defense. Or do you, are you just as good of a defensive wrestler as you are an offensive machine? That's a good question. Um, I would say that, you know, younger in my career, I just focus, you know, on just scoring. You know, my, I, <clears throat> I kind of try to replicate the way that Kale Sanderson wrestled when I was a kid. You know, he was kind of, he was idle. And at that time, college wrestling had kind of fallen into this uh, trap, if you were to say, of just like real low scoring, you know, and, but he stood out because he was just dominating people. And I think that really put in perspective for me as a young kid traveling around, going to the national tournaments that you don't have to just win by one point. You know, if you can win by more, go win by more. And there's going to come a time when you're going to have to win a close match. But if you can put score, if you can score and, and be comfortable in a lot of situations, then do that. And uh, my dad constantly encouraged me to do that. You know, when I was going to tournaments, uh, talked about before. You know, I we, we lived an hour and a half away from where I practiced, so 
we would travel two, three days a week. And really my practice was on the weekends. My, we would get in the car, we'd go to tournaments. <clears throat> I'd wrestle two age groups, two brackets. My dad was constantly challenging me, exhibitions against bigger guys. And it was practice. It was, hey, you, you're, let's go out and get five different takedowns before you can pin this guy. Let's do this. And, um, <clears throat> and that was kind of how I developed a really wide technical um, just confidence in, in a lot of areas. And I think when I was young, remember just people saying, Hey, this guy's more technique than most high school kids. And I lived in Wyoming. So I mean, it's relative obviously to like that as you move further in your career. And I think, um, I hit this point when I was young, when I was trying to be successful by just pinning people and in the match, when I wasn't pinning people, uh, I was getting really frustrated. I would cry on the mat you know, and I think because I wanted to be successful and that was kind of the path that I had. And I, I would, even back then I would be losing matches and I could pin people. Um, and that kind of stalled that track. We're talking, you know, eight years old. And he's like, ah, we're not doing that. You know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna have that type of attitude. You know, you're gonna, we're gonna change, you know, kind of like your perspective. And, and I was just motivated by that. So <clears throat> when you're growing up and I was always motivated to be the best and, the tournaments like outstanding wrestler tournaments were always classified as most pins in least amount of time. So, you know, you want to win the tournament first, right. But if you want to be outstanding wrestler in your age division, eight and under 10 and under 12 and under, um, you know, is whoever had the most pins in least amount of time. <clears throat> but I realized that, well, a fall and a technical fall are the same. So I could go out and get five tech falls, you know, really easier than some guy could get five tens. And I would get a pin here and there. And I think I developed that where I, I started winning many more outstanding wrestlers because I would go through and I'd have five tech falls in a tournament. Um, and I realized I had this com comfortability to score and score from a lot of positions. You know, as a young kid, I never really had to tap into defense because I didn't really think of it. I didn't think of, uh, hey, I'm going to go out and try and win this match. I'm going to try and score as many points as I possibly can. Um, I, I really, you know, just the way I, I continue to keep that momentum. And, and very few times, really, in my entire career, did I have to focus on winning by a point or, uh, you know, being defensive and trying to defend, you know, I just wasn't really put in that situation because of the way that I approached the sport. I wasn't trying to go out and just get one takedown. You know, I was, um, I knew even if I gave up some scores, I could continue to score. So I think, you know, your question was, you know, when did I have to tap in the defense? And I would say I got, I think one of, one of my most undervalued skills in wrestling is probably my reattacks. But I don't get a chance to really do that very often when I'm wrestling because I'm so offensive. But, you know, I, my philosophy is I put a lot of time into my training and my conditioning, my strength. Um, you know, I have a lot of technical abilities to score from a lot of positions. So if I go out and, and I don't challenge those positions and I'm doing myself a disservice to all the hard work that I put into it. So <clears throat> I don't really get a chance to tap into that stuff as, as often because for a guy to come out and wrestle with me, um, you know, going out and being offensive is not really probably in their best interest. You know, they're going to probably try and, uh, slow the match down and be tactical and make it a lower scoring match. So, you know, I don't really get a chance to really tap into that. I would say, um, the one match in the last couple of years where I did get a chance to do that was, uh, last year in the world or 2018, in the world semifinals, uh, I was losing going to the break by two takedowns. I came out. I score two takedowns right away and in freestyle <clears throat> it's uh it's criteria decides the match. So it was the score was five to five, but I had scored <clears throat> the last takedown. So I was winning with a minute left. So at that point in time, I knew, I knew I could have continued to score. Um, but I knew that 
there was no way he was going to score on me. And I just was able to hold position. He shot with 10 seconds left. I down blocked. I reattacked, took him down, ended up winning seven to five. And that's, you know, that's really the only match that I can really think about where I was actually able to switch that's over. So to that's so crazy. That's so crazy. That's so crazy. Cause if you look how many, I can't even put a number on, I don't have any idea how many wrestling matches you've competed in, but it's a lot. And you're talking about a world, a world, you know, match right there that could have been against Russia, Iran. We're going to get into that, but in America, in college, and we're going to go back before this, but there's a thing called the Hodge trophy. That's, that's given out every year to the, the, the top college wrestler. And one guy wins it every year, only a handful, I think three or four. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, David Taylor, but you were awarded the Hodge twice. You're from Wyoming. When I asked Brent Metcalf why he started to get into wrestling, he said he was a motocross BMX bike racer and he walked into the house one day and he saw this picture of this muscular guy with a mask over his head. And he says, I want to look like that. And I want to be able to be a fighter. And he got into wrestling at a young age. You're in Wyoming. You're living on a ranch. There's elk and there's deer and there's fish in the pond and there's cattle and chickens to be fed and fences to be mended. You got a dad. That's obviously probably a roughneck rancher that just is blue collar as the day is long. And he gets up with the sun and, and goes to bed probably a little early because he's up so early and he's, 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 he's making sure that the land is working where does this mentality of kicking somebody's butt come in of a guy growing up in rural wyoming now wyoming does have what university of wyoming and laramie they do they have had and i don't know right now if they still have a wrestling program i believe they do but places like boise state and other schools out west have let their wrestling programs go um people you know there's are some wrestling schools in oregon and in california where does it come from? Where does the mentality come from in rural Wyoming? It's a good question. You know, I don't, and actually, I don't know if anyone's ever asked me that question before. Uh, I just think, you know, as a young kid, I was really energetic. I had a lot of energy. I've always been fiercely competitive. It doesn't really matter what it is. I mean, I want to win, you know, and, I, and that's just, I think, um, so actually my dad <clears throat> loves being outside. You know, that's just the way he is. And, and, uh, he, he was a, he's a Delta airlines pilot still is today. Um, but he always dreamed was to live on a ranch, to be able to have the opportunity to like go outside mend fences and do that stuff. So when we moved to Wyoming, when I was five years old, uh, my dad was actually on a trip. So, you know, way that that works is like, he would be gone, you know, three, four days at a time, be home three, four days at a time, you know, and kind of alternating that back and forth. So, um, my dad was actually on a trip. My mom was essentially like, I got to get, I got to do something with this kid. He's too much energy. So, you know, my dad wrestled in high school. Um, you know, he grew up, you know, detasseling corn in Illinois. Um, so he's a, he's a tough guy and he definitely held me to, um, a tough standard for sure. You know, and, and part of that is, you know, it, he, he was able to really challenge that, that toughness side of me, you know, and I think, you know, he was, he's definitely was hard on me growing up constantly. And, and it was never about hard on me about winning and losing, it was about hard on me about giving my best effort. Now, sometimes, uh, you know, that there's a line, there's a blurry line there, you know, and it happens, you know, and I think when you get kind of caught up and especially with the success that I had, um, I wouldn't have been able to do that without my dad and the sacrifices that he made and not even understanding then, you know, like what it took from him to be gone for four days at a time to come home. As soon as he came home, we were in the car driving somewhere for a tournament, whatever it is. And he was able to structure a schedule around that. 
in addition to that, we had seven horses and my sister and I rodeoed, you know, throughout, throughout our career. So I think that was kind of my balance between wrestling. As I got much more serious to wrestling, I was just as competitive rodeoing. You know, but wait a minute, uh, wait a minute. Now we're now we're on to something, Taylor. Did yeah. were you bareback, saddle bronc, or bulls? So steers and junior bulls, steers. and then steers and yeah. So before you wrestled, before you put on a singlet and wrestled a uh, a, a fellow human being, you're wrestling, which I consider personally, and this is always this is just opinionated, is. I consider a bucking bull the greatest athlete on earth to weigh 1,800 pounds and to be able to jump three to four feet in the air with a 150-pound man on your back and to be able to twist and turn like that. So David Taylor is honing his wrestling skills by telling the boys to open the dang chute and let this thing try to buck me off. This is why you 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 can get riding points with the best of them. So now it's starting to make sense. Is, is this Are we on to something here? Yeah, so I... <clears throat> You know, I, my, my success rate of riding a steer, you know, riding a bull was not very high. I'm not, I don't know. I think I, you know, I would, I think I won two all around belt buckles when I was a kid. You know, I think, you know, between barrel, barrel racing was definitely what I was best at. And I was, you know, I spent a lot of time with our horses. You know, I spent a lot of time riding horse, had a great relationship with, with the horse that I rode. Um, and we, I could be able to pretty much get just about everything I need to get out of that, you know, but I was, I was risking for the biscuit. I was like winning or I was knocking a barrel over. That was pretty much like the way that, you know, the way I wrestled was kind of the same way. My sister was precise. She was like a great, you know, she would never mess up, super consistent. Um, but I was like, listen, I'm either going for this and I'm winning, I'm beating this time, or I'm going to probably knock a barrel over and I'm not going to win. So uh, I think the two times that I won the all around bell buckles were, I don't, it was probably the only two steers that I rode. Now I was still pretty young at that time. So knowing where my path was in wrestling, I think it was kind of like a, a risk reward where, okay, when I kind of got to that point where I was getting to the age where you can start riding the junior bulls, um, I kind of made the decision that I was just going to just continue to ride horses. But, you know, I, I, I did it all. I mean, I, you, you, you know, as little kids, you ride the goats, you know, and then you kind of graduate to the steers and then you, you, I think I rode one or two junior bulls, but, um, but yeah, I think that, you know, just from wrestling and spent, or, you know, spending so much time in the saddle growing up, you know, long horseback rides, you know, going up herding cow, you know, we've had the roundup every, our neighbors were huge cattle ranchers. So we would go up in the fall and do like the roundup where you go up in the mountains and you have to kind of split the cows and bring their cows back down. Um, you know, you pack your lunches and you're up there for, from morning, right in the morning till, till nighttime, <clears throat> where you, you know, sometimes you're falling asleep on your horse, you know, and someone's throwing a stick at you to wake you up. But, you know, I think that time spending with that balance, proprioceptive, knowing how to kind of stay when a horse is turning, you know, obviously people understand that what it takes to, to ride a horse as fast as possible can and be able to maneuver and turn and, and twist so and, and stuff. So I think that definitely had an effect with me and naturally being able to ride and be tough on top. I think I have a really good understanding of that from my days doing that growing up. So how, how old are you when you put your first singlet on and you enter your first wrestling room? So I started wrestling when I was five. Okay. So, so you're you know, five years. So at five years old, you're already on steers and goats and the horses at five years old, barrel racing and being able to control and maneuver a horse. You said your sister is more of the finesse rider, but you're in there and you're, you're getting so close because you're going for everything or nothing. You're knocking over barrels. Do you walk into a wrestling room and you look at that guy across from you and you just go straight to him and high crotch him and throw him over and, and tech fall him like right from the beginning with your aggressiveness? I would say the timeline, you know, I started wrestling when I was five. And I think when we 
So we moved to Wyoming when I was five years old. And I think when we moved there, when we bought that ranch, um, it came, I think we, uh, I think it came with two, two or three horses. I think we bought when we bought the, we bought the ranch. Um, one of, and one of them was pregnant. So I think that ended up kind of being our, so my horse was magic. She was pregnant with two socks. Um, and then we kind of, you know, had a horse here, you know, bought a horse to kind of add to, you know, what we had. And I think one for each of our family, you know, and then <clears throat> I don't remember now exactly kind of like that, the chronological order, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, it was going out and, and, you know, shoveling, you know, shoveling poop and, and being around the horses at a young age, you know, doing that kind of stuff. And there was more, <clears throat> I would, I don't remember exactly my age of when I kind of start, started being pretty competitive riding horses. I would say probably was more competitive wrestling first. Okay. Um, so you're wrestling first. You're already in the room, but you still have a, you're already, you love animals and you're living on the ranch, but your mom just drive. What, what part of Wyoming are we in? Are we in Sheridan? Are we in Cheyenne? Where are we at? Evanston. You're in Evanston, Wyoming. Okay. So Evanston is just, is it fair to say that that's North of Cheyenne kind of close to the Nebraska border or I'm trying to picture it's Evanston. Southwest corner. So South pretty much like right, almost close to the border of Utah. Okay, Colorado, Utah. Okay, okay. Now, okay, and I'm getting my bearings. So your mom just drives you into town when your dad's on a road trip, and she says, "I'm going to put you into a wrestling room." Yeah. So we lived, uh, you know, tw- I think we lived 20 miles out of town. Um, so I remember, you know, getting up in the morning, jumping on the bus, going to school. Um, but it was really she saw an ad in the paper for the Red Devil Wrestling Club, and. Uh, she said, Hey, Dave, you know, my dad's name is Dave as well. Hey, you know, I want to put Dave in wrestling. My dad was excited. You know, he, like I mentioned before, he wrestled in high school. So, you know, I think he's probably like, yeah, it sounds like a pretty good thing. And I was horrible. Like my first year wrestling, I was not good. Um, and I, I don't really have many memories of it. I kind of remember the wrestling room. Um, I do remember the tournaments. I remember going there and just, I wasn't winning anything. So you weren't, you know a, prod- I mean? you weren't a prodigy not at that point in time no and your mom uh, and your mom got you into wrestling which i would say probably 99 percent of the wrestlers out there were brought to wrestling from their dad and now you're this cowboy mom living in i don't know if she's a cowgirl but she's living on a ranch in wyoming and she gets david taylor arguably the best wrestler of all time up there with the john smiths and the gables and the kill sanderson's who's your hero or your inspiration you were brought into your first wrestling room by your mom and you sucked yeah (laughs) that's crazy to me i remember you know i just uh go you know at that point it's it's pretty you know at that stage in wrestling that it's it's just use a circuit you know it's like the circuit in this town in this town you know rock springs and green river and uh randolph utah and you're just kind of jumping around and you kind of see the same people um but i remember the what i do remember is the very last tournament uh i won the very last tournament and uh I remember, I remember leaving and asking my dad, when's the next tournament? And he said, Oh, you know, son, wrestling's not till next year. You know? And I remember being like, well, I want to keep doing this. You know, like, I don't want to wait till next year. Um, and that's like, kind of remember my first year. So at the end, you know, I, I told the story a couple of times, one of my probably, you know, I've throughout my years, you know, different wards that I've won, um, that first year in the banquet, you know, you, you get, it's kind of funny, you know, you get your, your, you know, the, they give your, MVPs and the wrestler of the year and the, this and that. And they kind of get to the last award where it's like, all right, this, you need to give this kid something because, you know, he worked hard and, you know, he paid attention 
but he wasn't very good. You know, that award was most attentive. So I won that award in my, my first banquet of the year. I won most attentive. And it was this, this tiny little plastic trophy with, you know, gold plate in the middle. And uh, I think I still have it. I know I've had it for a long time in, in the moves that we've had. Um, I would imagine probably still have it. And I remember, you know, as I got older and, you know, I kind of like had a bunch of trophies. I had them on display. I've always had that, that trophy on display just because it's the first one I ever won. It was the first thing I ever meant anything. And I think that, you know, what, whether it's a combination of winning that last tournament or, or getting that award, you know, at the time not realizing that basically means, Hey, this award's given to the guy who is the worst wrestler, but pays attention the best. Yeah. You're coachable. But, you're coachable, which is huge in wrestling. You're coachable. Yeah, and I think that's one of my probably best attributes is I I'm, I've always been able to make adjustments. And, uh, and that was kind of how I got started, you know? And I think then it's just, Hey, we're traveling around, getting more competition, started getting better and better and better. And, um, but yeah, I mean that if, you know, who knows if it wasn't for, that last tournament or that award, you know, would have continued wrestling. I don't know. You're not going to tell me later on in this podcast, David Taylor, that your mom named you your nickname after your horse, are you? Or is, is, is that, is it, did it come from the horse and, or, or were you, are you, were you infatuated by Blackstone and the great magicians of our world or what was, what's the deal? And I don't, we don't have to really get in depth about, cause I, I, I really love the man and I know that you've created a lot of magic on the mat, but did that, did that name come from the horse? No, it didn't. Um, I think, I mean, a lot of people don't even really know, like at this, it's funny, you know, people look back and, and, uh, they wouldn't think that I, w I was, a ho I rode horses and did that kind of stuff, you know? And I think as I've separated from that, you know, obviously, um, you know, wrestling has become primary in my life, but, uh, I, I think the magic man nickname just came from the way that I wrestled, you know, it's just, I think sometimes when I do, you know, some, when you're wrestling, there's always, you kind of mentioned the very beginning, you know, like, there's wrestlers that are good and they got black eyes and, and cut lips and stitches and bloody noses. And I just never was a guy that had that, you know, I always kind of had an awareness of how to score. And, uh, and I would say that I wrestle really hard. I, I wrestle very competitively. I'm not a guy who like is trying to like out slick people by any means, but you know, I, I have a good understanding of the technical aspect of wrestling. So when I score, sometimes to people it is perceived as it looks easy. Now there's a lot of hard work that goes into that. And I think that's where the magic man name really kicked came from was just Who like as it? I was wrestling. Who said it first? Do you know? I remember um the first time I remember it was this guy did a uh, documentary on me my senior year in high school. And it's on YouTube still and it's a it's a pretty good documentary and it's called Magic Man of the Mat. And that's kind of what I remember when Magic Man kind of got associated with me. It was really kind of as I graduated high school and I started college. And then uh when I made my Twitter handle in college, it was Magic Man underscore PSU. And that I'm was when I was a freshman. And I'm I think that's kind of when that association. I'm writing this down. Magic man of the mat. Yeah. I'm, wa I'm watching it, dude. I think I remember you say, you, did you post it on flow later on? Uh, did they promote it at one time? Uh, flow did a separate one. That was pretty good. Um, and they may have promoted it and I'm not, I don't really remember, but, uh, but yeah, it was good. It was kind of the first kind of really, you know, flow wrestling was just getting started. You know, when I was, I remember the first time Martin Florini put a, a camera in my face was right after uh, I'd won in Fargo and I was disappointed with my performance, even though I had won and he was asking me his questions and I'm just like, who is this guy? And why is he asking me these questions that just don't make any sense? You know, and that was kind of the beginning of flow wrestling. Um, so, you know, I think around that time, that was when kind of media became more prominent and it kind of, my era, you know, of wrestling was when, you know, really what grew kind of that platform. So, uh, 
but yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool. How many people have nicknames that stick, you know, a lot of times they're forced or something. And for me, it's, you know, well, as it's, many it's, people it's, call it's, me David it's, Taylor, such, it, it's, yeah, it's just such a name that you have to live up to this height, dude. This isn't something to where somebody's calling you, you know, David, the cowboy Taylor, because you're from Wyoming, right. Or that you rode a horse or that, you know, what buckles are. Right. You, 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 you know how to work a pair of spurs, but nobody really knows that when they call you magic, man, they're not expecting you to pull a rabbit out of your know, you know what, or, a, or, a, or, a, you know, do a, a trick for them with some, a deck of cards. You got to live up to this name. Like you create magic on the mat. That's why I wanted to talk to you because every time I watch one of your matches, uh, one of my good friends is, uh, he just retired from refereeing in NCAA division one and D- division two. His, his full-time job is he works, uh, director of media for our ammunition partner, black federal premium. And his name's Brian Kelvington. And he's a big fan of yours. So I'll be on the phone with him for an hour talking about just your offense or, you know, talking about what would happen if you wrestled Jordan right now at this stage in your life again or what if you wrestled Dake and what would happen in that and so we're always and I know and I know none of these guys I just am infatuated with how how the 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 pure splendor of what you guys do in the mat and how it's like the foundation of all my favorite MMA fighters at two o'clock today, Randy Couture's coming on and I'm going to talk to him about you because I know he know you know, he wrestled at Oklahoma state and he was a coach in Oregon. He knows John Smith. He knows who you are. I Liddell's coming on the, on Friday and last week, Chad Mendez was on, you know, Chad Mendez, who is a big UFC guy and wrestler. And they always, they always mention David Taylor. So you got to live up to this name of this like machine that goes in there and makes it, and you just said it, it looks easy. It literally looks easy. So like the injury, like pissed everybody off because they're like, oh man, I, I want to watch David Taylor wrestle and you're out for, you know, over about a year. Right. Yep. And we're going to get into that injury later on in the podcast. But, and, but I, I just kind of want to know, like, this is, this is one of those things to where you don't ask for the nickname. You're given the nickname by a guy that does a documentary on you after a match in Fargo that you're not even satisfied with. But then from there on, I kind of want to try to get into like, where does this off offensive splendor come from? Like, is it, is it when you're 12, is it going into middle school? Is it when you get into high school and you don't, and you don't lose a match? I want to learn, like, were you that much of a badass? you know, your whole junior career before you sign your letter of intent. And I'm really excited to talk about the day you get to, you know, you're recruited by who was kind of, I don't know, is Kel there at the time? Is he the head coach when you, when you get recruited? Yeah. So he was, so he was the head coach at Iowa state. Iowa um, state. I okay. I committed to Iowa state as a junior. Um, and then when he took the job, uh, may my senior year, um, at Penn state, then I was able to, uh, follow him to Penn state. So, so I want to get into that whole part. So when you're coming up, you, you, in high school, you've been wrestling. When you come into high school, you're probably right around 15 years old. So by the time you're a freshman in high school, David, you're, you got about 10, 11, nine or 10 years under your belt as actual organized wrestling. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. I mean, I started wrestling when I was five years old. So, um, I mean, it seems like so long ago, you know, it's crazy when you're growing up, like you, you, you think like the next thing, I mean, you're in junior high, like high school is the next thing when you're in high school, the college is the next thing, you know, and it's, at that time in your life, it seems like everything. And when you look back, it just seems like such a small, a small blip on the radar. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one of the biggest things that I, I remember, you know, I got into high school was I was undersized. So, you know, I'd had a lot of success, but I only weighed 
you know, 90 pounds, 95 pounds that summer going into my freshman year, you know, and 103 pounds right now, kind of a hot topic in wrestling is the weight classes. And, and a lot of people have a hard time feeling weight classes and, and they're, they've already eliminated 103. It's moved to 106. And they're talking about eliminating 106 and moving the weight up again, you know, and looking back on my career, if they would have done that, you know, I, I would have struggled, you know, I didn't even weigh hundred pounds my freshman year. Um, and I think, you know, I had that, um, you know, you called the, re- the wrestler's red shirt, you know, when you get held back as an eighth grader. And, uh, it was really important to me to, to do it the right way. And, to um, and that was the way I thought. Now I'm not saying it's the right way or the wrong way. Just for me, you know, where I was in my career, I felt like I needed to go to high school and I needed to kind of move on to that next level. And, uh, being undersized was definitely posed some challenges, you know, guys, people look at me now and, you know, I'm, uh, you know, six foot, 200 pounds, you know, I'm, but there for a long time in my life, I was baby faced. I was so small. I was so undersized for so, so much of my career, which is kind of crazy to look back on. Did you, did you have issues with getting picked on being that small or did you already have the reputation that you might mop somebody up if they mess with you? Uh, I, I just always, I was always, uh, making sure I was around big people when I was talking trash, you know, <laughs> were and, you a uh, shit talker? You don't come across as a smack talker. I, I, sometimes when I was a little kid, you know, but I was always when I had someone big with me, you know, but I, I think ultimately, yeah, I mean, I was small, you know, I remember, <clears throat> you know, going, uh, you're going to like social things and people would be like, Oh, he's so cute. I'm like, no, that's not what I am, you know? <laughs> but, uh, no, it was good. I mean, but yeah, yeah, I was young. I was, and I looked young, you know, I, I was, I matured really late. I mean, I didn't even have, um, I mean, I didn't even have armpit hair, you know, until I was pretty much out of college, out of high school, you know, I didn't grow facial hair until I was out of college. So, I mean, it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just part of, it. it's part of, part of the adversity. I think, you know, having to grow up, and I could never rely on strength or even speed. You know, I, uh, it was just technique for me and I had a wide variety of technique and I wasn't afraid to do those things. So, you know, now fast forwarding to this point in my career, when I have matured and I do have speed and strength to go with that technique, you know, it's, I've been able to put together a pretty good product. You know, when I step on the mat, I feel pretty confident. So with that confidence, I want to get back to high school, but like right now, I know it's a, it's Friday night and you're in Jersey. It's six o'clock at night in Jersey right now. You, you have training tomorrow, but let's you're, you're there. The quarantine's going on, right? There's no matches coming up for a minute. <laughs> Hello cat. Right. There's no matches yeah. coming up for a minute. The war, the Olympics have how they're going to be postponed until next year. Right. Correct. Um, Will you be in another competitive match in this calendar year? You think? That's a great question, you know, and I don't know the answer to that. Um, and I would say that's challenging, but I was fortunate enough to have wrestled just, you know, I was the last one of the last sporting events in the world to compete, you know, at the Olympic, uh, the Olympic games qualifier, um, in Ottawa. So, that was March 15th. So that was right before everything went down. So that's I was the, really that's thankful. The, that's the week. Yeah. I remember when you won that, I was in spring training and they just canceled spring training that day. Right. It was pretty much that day. So we were in Canada when everything was shutting down and, uh, you know, I finished that tournament that night and we got in the car and we drove back across the border and that next night at eight o'clock, that's when everything we got to kind of stay at home and go under quarantine type stuff. So, you know, I was thankful to have that match, you know, and I don't know. You qualified though. You won. Year. You won that, right? I did. Yep. This is your first. Is this your first meet out uh, off of, off of surgery and rehab? Yep, it was. And what was the exact injury? I tore my ACL. So you have a knee injury, but my question was going into this: you don't know if you're even going to wrestle in the next eight months in the calendar. The rest of, or the, let's say, the next seven months in the calendar year of 
2020. Will you have a cocktail tonight? Do you drink? Do you party? Do you're a young man? You're 29 years old. Do you go out and get torn up, or do you always have to be this mindset that you are an Olympian, you are a prodigy, you are a world class wrestler? Can you go out and get torn up with your friends? I don't even know if you drink, but can you go out and party and stay up late and get rambunctious and, and play board games all night with your wife and a couple friends? Obviously, when the quarantine's not on, but. Will you guys sit around and, and drink a bottle of wine tonight and fill and wake up feeling a little bit groggy, but still get through the workout tomorrow? Are you a human being, David? Do you have fun, or are you just so focused on kicking people's ass on the mat that you don't like you you don't get to enjoy those parts of life? Well, I think there's definitely you know there's definitely you kind of mentioned two things. You know, you have a you have a glass of wine and you have go out and and get wasted, right? I mean, and there's a lot of in between there. Uh, I think it comes with maturity, right? I mean, I think. Uh, at this point in my career, I know what it takes to be the best in the world. And there's not room for that stuff. There isn't, you know, and I believe that, you know, that, that 1% more that I have in my opponents, um, there's a reason that I have that. I live a clean lifestyle. I have a clean diet. You know, I adhere to everything. I do all the right things to the most part. And, and but that level, at this level, everybody does those things. So, you know, I think it, it comes, you know, I think everyone can prioritize things differently. Um, I, I have a lot on my plate when it comes to, you know, in addition to competing and training, you know, you know, being a husband, um, you know, I have cool businesses that I'm, I'm taking care of. So I think for me, that's just not important to me, you know, uh, having a glass of wine at night. Yeah. You know, having a glass of wine at dinner, sure. But I don't, I don't really enjoy, um, you know, waking up and not feeling good. You know, I don't want to wake up and, 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 and have a, and suffer through the next day or have a tough workout because, reality is it's not just affecting that day, you know, it's affecting that day, which leads to the next day. And that just isn't something that I'm interested in right now at this point in my career. So that's a great point. So this point in your career is one thing, right? But what about when you reach that stage of you've done, not, you've done it all, you've almost done it all already, which it's been an amazing career, but you're, you're still in the prime. I don't even know if you're in your prime yet. Like you probably are, are just entering it, but Will you go out and, and enjoy those type of things when you don't have a match? Do you have the mentality to enjoy going out and partying once in a while, or it just doesn't interest you right now? When you were in high school, would you cut loose once in a while? Um, I know you've been a you're a world class athlete, but on the other side of it, do you will you get there to where you'll be able to go out and enjoy that? Because my point, David Taylor, is now you're making the sacrifices. You do have to be geared and focused and above world opponents from Iran and Russia at any given time that you're going to go wrestle. But do you think that when it's all said and done and David Taylor hangs it up and he's just a businessman and he's just a husband and a father that you'll be able to go out with a couple, a couple different friends and, and tear it up once in a while? I think there's a time and place for those things. You know, I think, uh, you know, I have no, I don't have a problem not against that stuff. You know, I just, I think for me at this point in my career, you know, it's, you know, it's, you talk about, you know, each level we talked, you know, kind of mentioned that a little bit ago, you know, at the youth level, what separates, you know, the best kids from the rest of the pack at the high school level, what separates the best kids from the rest of the pack, the college level, you know, it becomes that pool becomes less and less and less, you know, and, and everyone at that point is, is skilled and, and, and has the ability to, to be the best, you know, but it's a matter of, I think the mentality. And I think that that stuff adds up over time. You know, I think there was a point earlier in my life, you know, when I was in college and, and sure you get distracted, you, you, you feel like, um, you know, for whatever it is, you're a young kid, you know, and you think you can just handle whatever it is, but you quick, I quickly realized that not that I was ever a kid that went out and, you know, party all the time by any means, but you start thinking, well, what can I eliminate? What can I do that can help me get the edge over my opponents? And, and that's just one, 
that for me, that was, this isn't necessary, you know, do I, uh, you know, again, so I just think there's time and place, you know, when I won the world championships. Yeah. I mean, I had a great, you know, that night was a fun night. You know, I went out, my family was here and, uh, I was in uh, Budapest and, um, you know, that was, that was, that was fun, but you know, it's just that you, when that stuff, you know, lifestyles are addictive, you know, I think that's the biggest thing. And I think, um, I think for us at our level, there's something that's probably wired a little different, you know, to be the best. And I think you typically, you are, you know, I'm, I want to be successful and, um, you don't want to really bring things into your life that can steer you in wrong directions. David, I'm reading up on the world championship from 2018 in Budapest and you win the gold medal. You're a world champion. How many wrestlers from America have won this same accolade of a world champion? How many of them can say, I know can kale. Yeah, uh, kale's an Olympic champion. So but is I that mean, different than a world champion? I know that there's, I know that you, uh, cause you're not an Olympic champion yet. Correct. No, I'm not yet soon to be but and i'm not just taking it for granted i just i'm a big fan i know that that's what's going to happen um who are they who are the world champions that i know it's kyle snyder uh, a world champion yes yep so i mean current current world champions uh kyle snyder uh jordan burrows uh Jaden cox kyle dake myself um those are all uh, those are all legends already that you just named and those are, I think, the current men's world champion. Um, I mean, it's it's a tough accolade. I, actually, last year, I, I was the – so typically in the United States, you know, got, when, when we've had our most success are um, guys that pretty much graduate college and it's like right on the scene, you know, before international competition has had a chance to kind of scout them. And usually that first world championships is a lot of times – in the United States, in history speaking, has been the best world championship performance. Guys will come in that first time and win, you know, and then whether they can, you know, you know, maybe they're, you know, a guy like Jordan Burroughs who can win a bunch in a row or some guys, some win early, like, you know, like Kale won, I think he was 24 when he won the Olympics and then he retired. So a lot of times guys win early. Um, and I, I think the trend is changing, you know, and I, uh, one, I think there's more financial support, you know, like for me, you know, in, in the apparel company that, uh, supports me scrap life. Right. And there's more people like that in the sport. They're supporting us so we can wrestle longer. And I was the oldest first time world champion since Bill Zadick, right. Who's the current head coach at, uh, I think I was 28 when I won. So it's, it's kind of crazy that it, it took me, you know, I wouldn't say that it took me that long, but I don't even feel like I'm old, but I feel like that's uh, been the trend that people win early. I think the, the average age, right now world world and olympic champions is like i think it was 24 um in, in the 2012 quad i think the 2016 quad it went down to like 22 so guys are just having success you know earlier and earlier um but uh but yeah i mean so current world champions i mean well, how old you know, it's, it's, what, it's, what's snyder 23 24 he's just out of college right yeah i think 24 but jordan's older so, than that the jordan yeah so jordan's 30 i think 30 31 he's a year or two years older than me i'm 29 so i think jordan's 31 so he won uh, a world championship before this last one who did did jordan win a world championship before this last one yeah jordan won his first young he won his first year out of college so he won um i think he's won five world and olympic total so he won i think his first one 2011 um you know so i mean yeah i mean he's he's been one of the few that's been able to do it for a long period of time. And you know, I think he was, you know, he's been, um, he's kind of been helping 
you know, kind of set that foundation that you can wrestle young and you continue to win. You know, it hasn't really happened in the United States for a while. So, I mean, he's held off some, I mean, he's held off some pretty, pretty dang good wrestlers in the United States as well during that time. So, you know, we have a really tough team right now in the United States. We have really, we have a lot of really tough depth. You know, we have multiple world and Olympic champions, um, in, in the same weight class this year that will be wrestling to make the Olympic team. So, you know, definitely trending in the right direction. And I mean, it's as tough to make a world team in the United States right now as it is to win a world championship. Wait, say what you, know, you just said, say what you just said, David, I'm sorry. You, you said that there's several people, you said there's good debt, but there's several people in the same weight division that you'll be trying to make the Olympic team at. So it, it, we have 10 weight classes for the world championships. Um, and then that will shrink to six for the Olympic games. Um, so you, we lose four weight classes A four weight classes are going to consolidate to to 10 will consolidate to six. Um, so yeah, there'll be in, in the same weight class, there'll be world world and Olympic champions, multiple in one weight class trying to make one spot. So there'll be world Olympic world and Olympic champions that won't make the team in 2021 for the Olympic games. So, I mean, our depth is, is pretty unbelievable. You know, I think I've been in two different weight classes like that. And, um, when I was at 74 kilos, uh, so Jordan Burroughs, uh, Kyle Dake and myself were all in the same weight class. All three are world champions. And in 2016, uh, Jaden Cox, myself, and Kyle Dick were all in the same weight class. They're all world champions. So we've now spread out, you know, across four weight classes. Jordan's at 74, Kyle's at 79. I'm at 86. Um, Jaden Cox is at 92, and Kyle Snyder's at 97 kilos. And that's been the lineup, you know, for the last couple of years for the United States. So we've had a really good team. For, in terms of 10 weight classes, I think our upper weights are, you know, we, we match up with every country in the world in those upper weights. So, but now we're going to have to consolidate to just three weight classes. So, uh, 74 kilos in Olympic weight class, 86 kilos in Olympic weight class and 97. So, um, so 79 kilos and 92 kilos we'll have to choose. Um, so does, does, you know, does Jaden come, does Jaden come down to you or is he wrestling Snyder? So he's decided he's going up. So Kyle Dick has gone, is he's going 74 kilos and, uh, Jaden Cox is going 97 kilos. So where's in Burroughs and you were going to be at 86? Uh, Burroughs and Kyle Dick will be in the same weight class and Jaden Cox and Kyle Snyder will be in the same weight class. And where does that, and you're where? I'm in the middle. I'm at 86 kilos. With nobody else messing with you? Uh, I mean, still, I mean, there's still a lot of, I'm at 86 kilos is, is a lot of young uh, up and coming guys. Guys are just out of college that are really talented wrestlers. So but um, I don't understand. I don't understand up. that. I don't understand that, David. Like, why? Why won't one of them come after you? Why have they decided to go that way? Is there a reason? Does the coach say this is the best strategy? Does the Olympic coach say, "Hey, for the best strategy for our team, we have to we want to keep Taylor here by himself because he's our best chance to win Olympic gold"? No, I mean it's individual. I mean everyone has to make their own decision. You know, I think it, it's tough because the weight class are so such big gaps. So you know, um, it's so by weight from weight class perspective, it's 163 pounds, 189 pounds, and then 213 pounds. So you just have to make, you know, guys have to make choices. You know, it's, it, are they more competitive going up or going down? In addition to that, you know, our weigh-ins now are two hours before. So, you know, it's just, it's a challenging thing, you know, and it's a one, you know, it's for the Olympic games and guys are going to have to make sacrifices. You know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that the weight class I wrestle is an Olympic weight class. So it stays the same all, all the time. Um, but you know, with that being said, I didn't, you know, I won a world championship in 2018. I was, um, 
2018 uh, United World Wrestling Wrestler of the Year. So I was voted the best wrestler in the year of all weight classes. You know, going to 2019, you know, I was set up to continue to have success. And then um, I got hurt and I didn't wrestle for an entire year. So, you know, there were a lot of variables going on. And, um, but I'm back now and uh, I'm looking forward to definitely looking forward to competing. And it's, it's going to be challenging. I mean, there's definitely no, um, this is no matter who's in the weight class. I mean, people are going to be prepared. Um, and uh, it's just, it's a matter of putting your best foot forward. When you, when you were in Ottawa, Taylor, was there any, apprehension for you to really shoot and to really develop leverage off of your knees and your legs, your tor your, your quadriceps, your hams, everything that's going into that area that, you know, the muscle to protect those tendons in your knees. Are you apprehensive? Are you released a hundred percent, which obviously being at your level, a doctor or a, a pediatric is not going to release you if you're not, but are you a little timid? Are you shooting at a hundred percent or are you wrestling at 85% when you win this Olympic trial? Or is that well, a dumb, is that a dumb question? I don't know if that's a dumb question. Uh, so, I mean, I was back quick, um, you know, typically, you know, for an ACL, I mean, ACL surgeries are, you know, nowadays are pretty common, but there's no real beating the timeline. I mean, pretty, you know, it's a 12 to 24 month process. You know, I think, you know, guys that are, are you know, can be back in 12 months, but you know, to put in perspective, you know, Clay Thompson tore his ACL last year, you know, he's a basketball player for the Golden State Warriors. And, uh, you know, he probably, you know, he, I imagine what could, could have been back this year for the season. And they announced that he wasn't coming back, you know, and they wanted him to you know make sure he got his full time uh, to come back. So everyone's different. Um, I tore, you know, I tore mine last year um, in May, May 5th, actually getting ready in an exhibition match uh, for beat the streets and match. It didn't mean anything, unfortunately, but you know, I was back uh, 11 months after that, I was competing at that level where I was, I hadn't missed a beat. I was as good as I was. I was better than I was in that competition than I was when I was injured. So I made the most of that time. You know, I think, you know, genetics play a factor in that. Your team plays a factor in that. You know, your discipline. You talked about just a minute ago, you know, it's like I could have made a choice during that time to, you know, to, Party to let my body, out. you know, to, to get, you know, be, feel sorry for myself. But, you know, I knew I had 11 months to be back to qualify the weight class. I had, uh, it wasn't, it was 10 months, I had 10 months to be back, 11 months to be back in the Olympic trials. Um, so, you know, that's a quick turnaround and, uh, I made the most of every single day during that time. And I wrote down my calendar. This is determining back. I, you know, I talked to my doctors and every one of them said, this is going to be tight, but we can make it happen. You know, so I got my surgery done and, uh, you know, they're definitely adversity. I actually had, I actually had to have a second surgery in October just to clear out some scar tissue. I had this weird thing called a Cyclops lesion which forms, um, and a really low percentage of, of, a, uh, of knee surgeries where basically you just get this like bloody mass that builds up and, and there's really no, no one really knows why that happened. So, um, I got to a point where I was getting better and then I kind of took a big step backwards and then I got that removed. And once that happened, you know, it was kind of pedal to metal and, uh, and get going. And I got back on the mat in December and, you know, within, within six weeks of being back on the mat, I felt like I could compete and, um, you know, I, I think that that timeline was a perfect timeline for me. You know, I think before that, you know, I don't know if I would have been my best because it was crazy. You got to you get to that point where like, every day you're better. It's like you look back, you know, one week prior to where you were, you're, you know, light years ahead. Two weeks, a month is like five years of what it feels like. So, you know, going through that process and putting the time, you know, now it's just, I was ready to go. You know, I believe I was going to make the team. I was, I believe that was going to be Olympic champion this year. Um, but now having another year to continue to mature, 
um, physically and for my body to continue to heal and build that strength, you know, it's just going to be continue to put me in a, in a good position moving forward. But you know, what I learned is no matter how you feel or you know what it is, you can't take anything for granted. You know, I think during that time, what I realized more than anything is how much I love to compete when, when I, uh, you know, when I get a chance to get back on the mat, you know, obviously I'm gonna look forward to that. And I want to talk about you mainly, but I want you to talk to me about this team and how special it is. What makes Kyle Dake a four-time national champion? What makes him special in your eyes as, as a teammate, as a, as a fellow champion world, uh, you know, world class you are, there's no doubt about it. What makes him special through David Taylor's eyes? So Kyle and I've had a, you know, long relationship, you know, we, we've been wrestling, we're the you know, same age. We've been wrestling in pretty much everything since we were kids. You know, I, I pretty much kicked his butt when we were younger. Um, you know, we trained together, his family, he lived in New York. Um, my, and his family lived in Ohio. So, um, when I, I went to junior high, I moved to Ohio when I was in junior high, went to junior high and high school in Ohio. And when he would visit his family for Thanksgiving, he'd come down and stay with us. Um, we would train, he'd go back home to New York and, uh, I think, you know, during that time, you know, his dad was an all American in college for Kent state. And I think his dad had a good perspective. You know, he never had Kyle cut weight. You know, I think one time, I think when he was a junior in high school, he just missed certification. So like if the weight class, I can't remember what it was, 130 pounds, he weighed like 130.1 and couldn't go. So he ended up having to wrestle up to like a weight class or two weight classes. So he was always used to like wrestling bigger guys. And you talk about a kid that, know, had great technique, you know, kind of, and he and I are really similar in a kind of our trajectory that we had was, you know, he didn't, he was really technical, but he didn't really have strength. Um, he's, he's an unbelievable athlete, um, as a kid, but as he got older and he grew into his strength when he got into college and that paired with his technical ability, you know, he really kind of started to transcend his competition. So, you know, it's been interesting to kind of see that in his career and, so we grew up really good friends and we got into college and, and we became competitors, you know, and it was definitely, uh, you know, it was no really, it was, uh, I would say our friends, our friendship was definitely put to the test during that time. I mean, it was tough. You know I mean? Obviously, um, you know, I wanted to win. He wanted to win. We were the same weight class my senior year. We wrestled three times. Um, all three matches were extremely close and, um, probably one of the, it's, it's the biggest actually. So that recently they put out a, uh, a thing. And it was like the most watched NCAAs wrestling of all time. And our match 2013 was the highest viewed in the history of the NCAAs. And it was just hyped up the entire year. You know, I was returning national champion, hot trophy winner. He was a three-time national champion um, that had gone up a weight class to wrestle me. And the storyline was pretty, was just obviously it was an intriguing storyline. And, uh, but I think well, lay, it out, lay out, lay out the story for me a little bit more. Why, why is it taking place this way? As far as like, why are you guys coming together in this NCAA's match that night? Was it destiny you think, or how, where is he at and where are you at during this as far as it being lined up and scheduled this way? So, um, you know, we were kind of like, basically, you know, as he kind of, as he matured and got into college, um, he, he won the national championship as a freshman, um, at Cornell, uh, one again as a sophomore and again as a junior and each, each year he'd gone up weight class. So he 141, 149, 157. Um, I started my career at 157 as a freshman and I was, I got second. Then as a sophomore, I went up to 165 pounds and I won. So then he's a year ahead of me. So my junior year, 165 pounds, his senior year, he went up to 165 pounds. Um, and he's so at Cornell still. 
he was a Cornell. Yep. And, uh, you know, just stylistically, I was, um, you know, if, if you know, I, I'm extremely offensive wrestler, score a lot of points. Um, and Kyle was the exact opposite. He was very defensive. You know, he was a guy and always has been, he, he's a guy he pretty much, if he wants to score, he's going to score. You know, he, he's just one of the guys that has that ability. Um, but he's kind of always kind of chosen to be on the more defensive side. And I think a lot of it had to do with he cut a lot of weight in college, you know, and I think his energy level just wasn't quite where he wanted to be. But so you kind of have this guy, your guy was three-time national champion. I was returning hot trophy winner, national champion, hot trophy in wrestling is um, basically the, it's the Heisman of wrestling. Um, in terms of the way that we wrestle, you have a guy that basically, you know, Kyle traditionally won by one point and I won by 15, you know? So it was like this, this matchup of two guys that were really successful, but opposites in the way that they wrestle. So it would, um, it just provided, you know, that was really the storyline. And then obviously us growing up and our friendship, um, and then him going for his fourth national championship, going up weight class to wrestle me. So we wrestled in the beginning of the year in the all-star match, which is a exhibition match. It doesn't really, it doesn't count, but, um, and we went into double overtime and, you know, he'd wrestled a lot of matches that were one point matches. And at that point in my career, I'd wrestled pretty much no matches that were one point matches. So I remember actually, you know, in practice, you, know, you drill, you drill, like, it's kind of crazy. You, you drill your scenarios. Like, hey, this is overtime. This is double overtime. You know, here, here's your, your mat, your, your whistle start in practice. I never practiced that. Yeah. You know, like I, in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I'm never going to go to double overtime. So, and when it was double overtime in practice, I was just treating it as a 30 second go to try and score as many points as I could. Well, we got into double overtime and I got kind of flustered because I didn't know the rules really of how the riding time worked. So I got like panicked and uh, I like, I whistle started and I dropped to an ankle, which is not something that I do. He got the escape and that was how he won. So, you know, won that first match and I gave him the confidence basically that, Hey, I'm going to go up and I'm going to stay at 165 pounds. Um, later that year, we wrestled in the Southern scuffle, uh, which is a tough collegiate tournament in December. And, you know, I, I, I was in a, I mean, basically it was a really close match again. I was winning and I had riding time and they gave him a reversal going out of bounds. And, uh, basically I just had to get an escape and I would win. And, uh, he rode me out and was able to keep his riding time one by one point. So another really close match. And then going into the NCAA championships, you know, again, same thing, the same trajectory of, you know, I score a lot of points. And actually his senior year, he actually kind of started to score a lot. I think he had like, you know, maybe 18 pins that year. Um, and we, we wrestled in the finals. We, it was the first year that the NCAA had changed up the match order. So they put us as the last match at the end of the night. And uh, I got the first takedown. And honestly, I was, I was just so, it was a good learning experience for me. Um, you know, I was so hyped up for the match that after that first takedown, I just got exhausted. And as that match went on, it just, you know, I, I got that first takedown and then it just was pretty much a downhill slope for me the rest of the time. And I ended up losing five to four on riding time again. And, uh, you know, he ended up finishing that match as a, as a four-time national champion at four different weight classes. And um, I went on to win the next year, my senior year. I won the national championships again. So, you know, I think that will probably always go down as probably the biggest match, maybe probably the biggest match in, in, in maybe NCAA history. And um, and since then, you know, we have we've – really kind of become really good friends again, become really good training partners. We room together on all of our trips. We share a lot of things together in terms of the way that we train and the way that we kind of view the sport of wrestling from a technical side. So it's been kind of full circle. You know, we kind of started as friends, became that kind of rivalry 
you know, during the year. And now, now that we're different weight classes, you know, we really can get the most out of trending with each other. And, um, you know, it's been pretty cool. It's just one of those things that, you know, how wrestling can kind of develop a really strong relationship. And, uh, you know, now we're in a position to fulfill lifelong dreams. That's so awesome, man. So freaking cool. And what, a, tell me the same style of lay it out the same style. If you don't mind about Jordan, you've, you've had, you've had matches against Jordan. You've been teammates with Jordan. You've watched his career. He was university. Was he university of Nebraska? And yeah. Jaden was university of Missouri, correct? Yep. Okay. So Jordan, give me, kind of give me an overlay of how you see Jordan through David Taylor's eyes. I think with Jordan is just, uh, I mean, he's a fierce competitor. I think that's what, you know, it's interesting. You look back and I think it's hard for people in wrestling, you know, especially when they're, when they're accomplished and credentialed, you know, to, to say, you know, this is where I learned, or these are the mistakes that I've made, you know, and I don't really have a problem doing that because, you know, each one of these guys, you know, it's constantly like people want to bring up like, you know, you know, these guys, Kyle Digg, Jordan Burroughs and, um, and Jaden Cox, you know, because those are the, I've, I'm one of those guys that every match that I wrestle in, is like the most premier match, you know, and it just happens to be that way. And those are the three guys that have been able to beat me in my career. And I think, you know, it's tough. It's tough. You know, as a competitor, you're like, man, I don't want to talk about these matches I've lost, but in each one of those things, I've learned a lot, you know, and you look back and like, well, they, they were in this area, they were better than me at that time. And I had to improve, you know, they were better than me at this time and I had to improve. And I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm to where I am now. I wouldn't be without those losses, you know, to those people. Yeah. I think with, with, uh, with, with Jordan, you know, when I, when I came out of school in 2000, what was it? 14, 2014, I graduated college and Jordan was a returning world and Olympic champion. He won the, won the worlds in 11 Olympics in 12 worlds again in 13. I think, I think he was a three-time world champion consecutively. So he was the best pound for pound person on the planet at that time. And, uh, when I was a senior in college, I remember, you know, I wasn't, I was, I was better than everyone else at that in college at that time. And I was training to wrestle Jordan that year. And I wasn't really training. You know, I knew I was, I was what I was training for. I was training to wrestle freestyle and to make that world team. And when I wrestled him at the U S open that year, you know, we had, we wrestled three times, we wrestled the U S open and then the finals, best two out of three finals at the world team trials and all three matches were really close. And I think again, at that time, kind of similar to where I was with, with Kyle Dake is they just had so much experience and savvy in wrestling those matches where, I mean, Jordan, I think at the time had like a 65, I think a 65 consecutively match win streak in the senior level, which is unheard of. And during that time, I mean, he dominated people, but there were matches where he was losing by takedown or two takedowns and he would come back and win. And he's always had this, you know, we call it in wrestling a sprint, you know, when there's like 20 seconds left and you have to get the takedown or the push out to win. And Jordan is, I mean, that's what he's had better than everyone. You know, call that clutch gene or whatever you want to call it is. He's always had that. He's always been able to get that takedown. And I've always wrestled in my career up until this point. I just pretty much, I, you know, dominate everybody. I never had close matches. And in the matches that were close, I almost found ways to lose, you know, and I think that's tough to look back and say that but it is true. You know, I could, you know, I could win by 15, I could dominate, but when it was a match was close. Um, I just wasn't put in that environment enough that I wasn't finding ways to win. So when I wrestled Jordan that year, um, this was like maybe two weeks after the NCAA championships when I graduated 
I came out right away and he shot and I cradled him. He shot again. I cradled him. I was up four to one at the break, which, you know, was just, you know, it's like, okay, well I'm winning, you know, he's behind, you know, he's always kind of had that second gear. Then I think I was up six to three or short time left again, maybe, uh, 30 seconds. And, uh, he got the takedown. We come back on our feet, short time left. And I remember it. I remember getting on the line. I'm like, okay, I know he's shooting. Um, I was maybe 15 seconds left. He gets, you know, shoots double. And I remember in my head being like, okay, well, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to defend this for 15 seconds. So if I turn down, I'll get the takedown up and I'll have enough time to get a takedown again on the back end. But I just haven't, I hadn't been in those situations enough to understand like, wow, how important this takedown is. You have to fight this takedown. You have to, you, know, you got to make this guy work. Can't give it up easy. And I ended up losing like six to five, whatever. And it was like last, one of those last second thing. I just ripped my heart out. And it's like, wow, that's a tough one. You know, you have this guy, the best on the planet and you have him beat and you, you find a way to lose. And I remember just like, that was like what I felt like. So then, um, going into the world team trials, the way it works is, you know, he sat in the finals. I had to make it to him at the time. We had Andrew Howe in our weight class. who was another really tough guy in the world. I beat Andrew. Um, and I had wrestle Jordan in the finals and, uh, both matches, same thing. Like, I don't remember. I don't even remember the match, but same thing, six to five, you know, five, to four really close matches. But I think I had the lead probably in both matches and just one scenario, one exchange was the difference, you know, where, I, he would be up by one. I'd be on a takedown and then he would find a way to get that takedown or I'd be winning and he'd get that takedown. And it just, so I didn't make that team. And I remember just being like in a spot where, wow, I got to get better. And, uh, you know, we, it's funny cause it kind of goes back to that. We talked about earlier of, you know, the, the, the decisions that you make and how it affects your performance. You know, I was a young kid and, um, you know, winning just absolutely, you know, doing whatever it took to win wasn't probably number one on my priority list. You know, I, I was, I was young, you know, I wasn't married at the time. You know, I was like, my wife and I were just dating, you know, you want to like do whatever it is, but you know, Jordan was a guy who was dialed in hundred percent. Kyle Dick was a guy who was dialed in hundred percent. And, um, you know, you realize maybe I, maybe that's why I'm not winning these matches, you know? So, and I think that was kind of really kind of where I was at that time. I was good. And I was, I was a great college wrestler, but I wasn't in a position to be the best in the world. And I didn't even know what it meant. I didn't know what it took at that time. It was easy to say. I tell people that all the time, you know, it's like, it's like an easy thing now. I feel like everyone says, well, yeah, I'm gonna be a national champion or I want to be a world Olympic champion. Those words are so easy to say, but you don't understand how hard that is, you know, just to make a team, you know, when you get there and you're wrestling against the other guys, that are best in the world, you know, and that, you know, they win, it's life changing. You know, for us, we win. It doesn't really change your life. You know, like there's some prize money to be won, but you come home you're world champion, but you're doing it because you want to win and you, it's, we love it. You know, those other countries are winning and they're millionaires, you know, they legitimately change their life, you know? So it's like, you go from it being in college, it's, uh, you do it cause you love it and, and it becomes your profession. And if you want to support your family, you have to win. You have to you have to continue to win, you know? And I think when I realized that, and I went up weight class, 86 kilos, you know, that really changed my career. So I think I, I, I kind of look back and if it wasn't for those matches that I wrestled those guys in, of coming up short, you know, I don't think I would be where I am now. So long story short about Jordan, you know, what do I see in him is just, he's, he's a guy who always finds a, he can always find a way to win. You know, I think he's extremely talented, but I think his probably his best attribute is, you know, he's a, he's an unbelievable competitor and uh, he just, he wills his way to victory and he's been a lot of really good guys in his career consistently over a long period of time, which has been pretty amazing to see that. 
it's kind of a weird theory that you just put into perspective when you are at a world championship, how it can financially change your competitor's life in these other countries. And it's almost like you're doing it for the, the pride part of it, of being in the U United States Olympic wrestler, world champion or Olympic champion. And those guys, it almost seems like there's more on the line for them. If you broke it down, like if I don't win, I don't put food on the table and they got, and they're wrestling a guy that, well, I'm still gonna be able to put food on the table. You know what I'm saying? It's almost like you're beating these guys out of, of what their, their livelihood is. It's a different mindset. If you, if you're wrestling for your life, it's almost, it's almost different than just wrestling for a world title. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Yeah, it's interesting, you know, and, and I think, you know, people might take that as insensitive, like, well, man, there's the big bonus, you know, you win the world championships, $50,000, you win the Olympic gold medal, it's $250,000. And those are nice bonuses. I'm not saying they're not, but they don't change your life. You know, like the, the you're doing it, you're not, if you're doing it for the money, you're doing it for the wrong reasons, you know, but I love my job. You know, it's a, com it's a combination of, of wrestling and what it's provided is provide a lot of opportunities for me, you know, and I, I love, I love wrestling. I love going in and competing and I do it because I love to compete. I love to step on the mat and have the opportunity to prove that I'm the best guy in the world. I'm the best guy that steps on the mat consistently day in and day out, you know? And I think that's what I love to do. And people ask me all the time, like, well, when are you going to be done wrestling? Well, when I don't feel that anymore, when I step out there and, and, and I don't want to go through that hurt and the pain and, you know, and I, you know, taking those RPMs of red and, and not letting down for six straight minutes, you know? Um, but I, I love that part of it. And I think, and, and I, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, we're, uh, we're, there's lots of opportunities. And again, I think in the United States right now, we we're supported by our sponsors, you know, that's where our support comes from, you know, winning helps, you know, obviously, and if, if you're not winning, you're not really getting supported, but you know, if it wasn't for you know companies like scrap life, you know, and our RTCs, those are the reasons that we can continue to compete for a long period of time. You know, that's the best guys, you know, that's, that's where our income source come from. And then, you know, winning the gold medals is uh, obviously that's a great incentive and it, it can help, but you know, it's the companies that are supporting us that are giving us these chances. And, but ultimately, you know, you can have all the support in the world, but if you're not motivated to be the best, you know, those opportunities, they come and go. So being the competitor that you're describing and, and, and again, you, the, the reason that the reason that I'm so intrigued by you is because of what you've done. And I love hearing how you've done it, but is there a part of you, David Taylor, that wishes that with your statement before this about how Dake's going down and Jordan's going up or, or Cox is going up. Do you, is there a part of you that wishes that you had to wrestle one of them to make this Olympic team knowing what you just told me? I mean, I think, uh, you know, life, life is about opportunities and making the most of those opportunities, you know, and you can't control um, what it is. You know, I've, you ultimately, you just got to control what you can when you step out there. So thinking about that kind of stuff is, isn't going to really do much about anything, you know, and I think you never know. I mean, with another year, guys could change weight classes. You know, I think another year postponement, it changes things. And the reality is there's always someone else that's good. There's always a young kid that's going to go with the same development that I did in 2017. I went from nobody even knew who I was in the world. I showed up to tournaments. I wasn't consistently placing. I wasn't making teams in the United States. I finally made up my mind that it was, I was, I was really tired of being almost, you know, and I really dedicated uh, to what I was doing. And in 2017, you know, I went in one tournament. Um, I beat four guys that were, you know, world and Olympic champions consecutively. And then at that point I realized I can beat everybody. And I don't, I can beat everybody the same way I was my entire life. I don't have to win by one point. I can dominate these guys. And once I realized that everything changed, 
So it doesn't matter who I'm wrestling or where it is, you know, that guy, you know, if they get an opportunity and they can change that mindset, they're as tough as anybody. So, um, by no means is, uh, the Olympic trials, it is an earned event. You know, it's the best. I mean, there's no giving, there's no giving. So no matter who's at what weight class, it will be earned every step of the way. Okay. So take the, the, the feeling of it. The, I under, I understand that it needs to be earned, but personally, is there a part of you that wants that, that would want that to say, I'm going to beat Jordan or I'm going to beat Dake and I'm going to make the team with them in my weight division. Is there any part of you that says that even though you're a great teammate, is there any part of you that says that at all when you have the level of c- competitiveness that you do? Man, everyone probably at some point, you know, everyone wants the opportunity to redeem loss, you know, that's for sure. You know, but again, those are things that you can't control. You know, I, I, uh, in order to be, you know, to, to be an Olympic champion, you're the best guy in the world at your weight class to be a world champion. You're the best guy in the world, at your weight class and everyone's path to get there is going to be different. Um, but you know, it, there's really nothing outside, outside of that that you can control. I understand what you're saying. It's almost, it's almost like it doesn't matter what weight you're at or you're on that team you're the best and then you're going to go win that gold medal and you're the best in the world it doesn't matter um obviously ethics play a role in it but ethically you're you're there for the right reason it's that competitiveness that hey i'm the best in the world at this weight division period it doesn't matter who i had to wrestle to get it because even if it's not a dake or it's not a taylor that's going to wrestle some there could be another guy that comes up and gives you a run for your money that's that's training right now you know like you just never know Uh, and just like you showed up at that tournament and beat those four world champions in one tournament it can happen to anybody like that, that guy's all, it's in boxing too, you know, or, or MMA, you know, I, I've heard MMA champions say there's somebody in Russia right now training that's going to knock somebody's head off and be, you know, like the next biggest thing in the heavyweight division someday. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there are, you know, I know for certain that people, you know, there's, you know, it, it comes wrestling's in cycles. Right. And I think as, uh, you know, as the guys kind of start cycling, get a little bit older, the new guys come in, you know, and I think it's for me, it's just, people perceive me as being older. Um, I don't feel that I don't feel that way at all. You know, I, uh, there was a funny comment recently by, by someone basically saying, you know, it's like, he's getting younger, he's getting older, but that's really, you know, I get, understand what he's saying, you know, as you treat your body better, you know, as you get older and you understand what it takes to be successful, you know, you can sustain that longer than what people think you can. So, um, I know that my best is still in front of me and I truly believe that, it doesn't matter who I step on the mat with. I'll be prepared. You know, I'll be prepared. So it's just a matter of keeping that same mindset, step on the mat, getting the job done, moving forward. Dude, I love the mindset. I love the way that you approach it. I want to do this again, but I want to I want to schedule part two of our podcast where we come back because I want to hear like how you go from I want the high school years and then I want the Penn state years because those are exciting years. Those are where these matches happen with Dave. These are, this is a two time national champion, a two time Hodge award winner. Like you're one of, I don't even know how many, is it less than five that have done it twice? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm speaking on, Yeah, I think four. That's amazing, right? You win the the Heisman Trophy Award for wrestling at the highest level of wrestling there is in college and folk style wrestling. 
you win it twice. And and then you just told me that in 2017 that you nobody knows who you are and you're a two-time Hodge Award winner with two NCAA titles and multiple, you know, just tons of victories, right? And then you win the Worlds in 2018. So I want to kind of proceed this. Can we, can we schedule another one and talk about it so we can get this message out there to high school wrestlers of what can happen when you apply yourself with the right mindset and, and, and a vision and, and, and a daily routine that's going to make you the best you can possibly be? For sure. I love it, dude. David Taylor, you freaking stud. I almost feel like, you know, like uh, the Italians, you hear like when they watch Rocky, they come out of the theater and they're ready to box, you know? You hear that like, oh, it's, or it's fight night and you think that you're a fighter because you watch it. I feel like coming through the screen and tying up with you a little bit and just seeing if I could get you down first takedown wins on a Friday night. Can we try that Let's sometime? <laughs> I traditionally give up the first takedown, so you actually have a pretty good probability of taking me down. So, but the, the, the problem is, is, People get that first takedown, but then they realize that for the next five minutes and 50 seconds, I'm coming, you know, and then that's the, that's the anxiety they got to deal with. Dude, I love it. Let's do it again. That's David Taylor. This life ain't for everybody. We're coming back with another episode with this freaking beast. He's one of the best wrestlers of all time in American history. He's my favorite wrestler to watch in today's today and age. And that's saying a lot because just like David Taylor said himself, there is some absolute badasses on the Olympic team, the world team for United States of America. We should be privileged as a country to have what we have to watch with our Olympic team right now. If you're not paying attention to David Taylor and Jordan Burroughs and Jaden Cox and Kyle Dake and all of these freaking guys guys that are tearing up the Matt Kyle Snyder. Um, did I say, did I say Dake's name right, right there? I, I don't know yeah, if I yeah. said it. Um, if you're not watching this, start paying attention because it is an absolute joy to watch chad building this life ain't for everybody. Please keep supporting the partners and sponsors that support us. We'll be back with part two of David Taylor, the man Tom hit that button. This is Leith Lofton. What you going to do when the money's all gone. Thank you all very much for listening. I'd rather be Life on earth won't last that long What you gonna do when the money's all gone? Say life on earth won't last that long What you gonna do when the money's all gone?